Would you join me in praying this morning uh, as we come to the word? Lord Jesus, we want to hear your voice this morning. We have, I prayed, poured our hearts out to you. Uh, God, in, in worship and in song. God, in prayer requests and in praises. Lord, we come now with ears to hear. God, we pray for hearts to understand. Would you speak to us clearly this morning? God, would you show us the path forward? God, as always, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. Uh, that if there is anything uh, in these notes I have in front of me that is simply of me, God, that you would strike it. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Lead your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So for any of you that were here last week or maybe listened online afterwards, uh, this week I spent a, a fair amount of time praying um, and just asking the Lord, Lord, was there anything in that message that was me? Anything that was, I was frustrated with something? Or there was a couple, I truly believe, difficult truths to put out there. And I was just very trying to be very sensitive to going, Lord, if, if those were just things that irk me but weren't of you, I've been praying that he would strike it from your minds. Uh, my goal and my desire is never to bring guilt or to bring shame. Uh, but sometimes we have to look at some difficult truths and kind of weigh ourselves. Uh, to kind of to, to look at something that we would rather not sometimes uh, and ask the Lord to, to lead us forward. And that was my hope last week uh, in, in talking about moving from church attender to kingdom partner. Uh, God has more for each of us. We are called truly to partnership with the king. And if in any area in our lives we see ourselves as just a bystander, that's someone else's job. That's for the, the missionaries and the really good Christians. I'm okay with being a run-of-the-mill Christian type thing. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit challenge us. Sometimes that's a swift kick in the pants. Sometimes that's lovingly taking our hand and walking us forward. My hope is that he is free to speak however he wants because there are some hard truths that we have to look at, that we have to stare in the face. And if we're unwilling, we will eventually just fade away and die. Our world, our community, our relationships will be truly no different because we were there. And that is a tragedy. What we need to really look at what I hope I'm driving towards is why we exist as a church. And understand this, every time that I'm going to be talking about the church, I'm not talking about an organization, those on staff, the professionals or the, the elders. And what I'm talking about is us as believers coming together. We are the church. You are the church. I, I think one of the tragedies is how normal it's become. People ask the question, you know, even what church do you attend? And we're ready with an answer. Oh, it's the Alliance Church or friends we have, it's the Nazarene Church, Summit, I mean, whatever it may be. And it's become so common that we miss what I think is really offensive to God. What church do you attend? Where do you go and sit on a Sunday morning as if that's acceptable? Now, again, I'm not trying to guilt or shame anyone. We've all, this language is just a part of our culture. We've all asked that question. We've all answered that question without probably thinking about it before. But part of that is why we need to come and take a hard look 
at church, at why we are the church, because it's become so ingrained that there's this kind of minimum acceptable level. And as long as you do that, you're fine. If you go beyond that bonus and God will applaud, but that's not what we find in Scripture. So we're going to be looking this morning and over the next few weeks at why we exist as a church. This is something uh, that the leadership of our church has been wrestling with for at least the last two years, if not longer, really trying to wrestle this thing down. Why are we here? Just to be a good church doesn't cut it. To have entertaining worship doesn't cut it. To have a, a dynamic speaker, and I'm thinking more when Mark was here, doesn't cut it. There's got to be more. Why do we exist as a church? Until we can wrestle with this and grab hold of it, we will continue to plateau and decline. Uh, the statistics are not great right now. Uh, and actually for the last at least 10 years, some would say even further, the American church as a whole has been plateaued or declining. Over 90% of churches have either just stagnated or actively are moving backwards. We'll look at why some of that is, but that is a truth that we have to wrestle with. Last week I talked about fighting the urge to move back to the old normal of doing things. Let's be real, the old normal wasn't working. The, the church attender model, the just get butts in seats, wasn't working. Culturally, it's been happening for a long time. We've been experiencing it for about two to three years, things moving backwards. And I'm not just talking about church attendance. I said last week, just measuring church attendance is a bad way to measure the health of a church. It's a piece of the pie, but it's not the whole pie. But when you look statistically at the church in the West, what you find is volunteerism down, giving down, discipleship groups, Bible studies, participation down, baptisms down, professions of faith down, church attendance down. We have to have some, some difficult conversations and look at it and go, man, the way that we've been doing church, something's not working. There's some cultural things that we can blame and we're going to look at some of those. But we have to be willing to have the conversation. Is it working? Is it helping us accomplish the mission God has called us to? And until we define that, we have no way to ask that question. Does that make sense? So as we look at the reality of the church and our church plateaued, actually declining in most things that we can measure, we have to start to wrestle with this. Why is this? Why is our church plateaued and declining? I'm given a couple, three things that we can look at that, that, are, that it's partially due to. These, are all, these all play a piece. None of these is like, that's the whole reason right there. There's a bunch of factors that come in. The first is this. There, there's been a massive change in culture. See, we, we used to have the kind of culture that said, just open the doors to your church and people will come in. The culture said, 
We as Americans are Christians, and Christians go to church on Sunday, and Christians go to Sunday school, and Christians do this, and it was just a part of kind of cultural identity. And so a lot of the work was done for us, just build it and they will come kind of idea. And we've seen the culture shift. It's been shifting, but especially in the last five, 10 years, there's been a rapid shift. This change in culture looks like this is the busiest I've ever seen people. And granted, I haven't been alive that long, but as I talk to others, there have never been more demands on our time. Be that uh, kids' sports going from, you know, this is just this season, this season, this season, to now every sport is a year-round thing. There is such a more demand on, on our families to be a part of everything, to be going here, going there. Work has become even more intensified for many. Uh, technology and social media, as useful as it can be, there's now this expectation that you are always plugged in. It's actually offensive if you don't like this post or retweet that. It's an offense against people. You are to be constantly vigilant, looking for things to like and post and retweet. And there's just this swarm of busyness that our culture has brought in. Now, many of us over the last couple months have kind of experienced what it's like to slow down. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people went, okay, this is kind of nice. We've had dinner together more than we ever have before. I haven't had a meeting here and to go here and pick kids up over there. We've been able to just be together as a family. It's been the number one complaint and the number one praise. They're driving me crazy, but man, I love being with them. Culture is, getting, is starting to kick back in and go, cool, now that we're reopening, are you going to do this? 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 And there's so many more demands on our time now that makes church just another thing. And again, hear me, I am not talking about church like Sunday morning, be here at 1030. I'm talking about being an active kingdom partner. It just becomes another thing, another demand on our time. And so we see the church decline. There, there is a culturally a rise of the nuns. Now, when I say nuns, I'm not talking about Catholic nuns and habits like rising up in revolt. Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Those who, when taking surveys, when answering questions, what religion do you follow? None. There has been a massive rise in those that just claim no religion. I'm not Christian, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Hindi, I'm not Buddhist. I have no religion. There has been this massive cultural shift, not only away from, from Christianity, but towards spiritual relativism. You just have your own religion. You just have your own God. You do whatever you want to do. Whatever is right in your own eyes, which has always been there in some form or fashion. But now there's been this massive shift. There's a hostility towards absolutes. To say this is right and this is wrong, not only are people kind of push away from it, they're, they're actively hostile against that kind of idea. And Christianity has a lot of absolutes. There is one God. There is one name under heaven and earth by which we would be saved. There is one king, and it's not me. That is not a popular message in our culture today. As things keep shifting that way, it's not hard to look and go, so why is the church declining? We're becoming more countercultural. It's harder to come and sit and ride the fence in here because as soon as you go out there, either everyone is okay and whatever they want to believe is okay, or there's only one way. 
And it's harder to ride that middle. So we see why the church would start to decline. The decline is partially due to our move towards spiritual inactivity. As Christians, as we live in this culture and we feel the demands on our time, we feel how busy we are, there's, there's always this and that happening. It's unpopular to talk that way or to speak this, to even share the good news of the gospel. It feels like the bad news of the gospel because we're going to make people mad. And so many of us have let that go. Almost every person that I talk to, when life gets busy, what's the first thing that tends to go? Quiet time. Whatever it is you call your time with the Lord, your time to sit and to read, to pray, whatever it is you call that, almost every person I talk to, when life gets busy and hectic, it's the first thing to go. Part of that is natural. We're human, we get overwhelmed, we get self-focused, like I get where it comes from, but when we live in this culture, when we become a part of this culture, naturally the first thing to go is going to be partnership with the king. And we see the church decline. Partially, the church's decline is due to the fact that old methods don't work anymore. At some point, we have to be willing to look at the church and say, what worked 20 years ago might not work today. What worked 50 years ago, 100 years ago, this model of church we have is around 200 years old. Pieces of it might not work anymore. Many churches, ours included, have stopped doing Sunday school. And there was this kind of like, whoa, what are you talking about? Some people like this is a go to the fence type issue on. And when we would say, but is Sunday school working? Are people coming out? Are people being discipled and growing there was almost this, from, from some, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but there was almost this, well, it doesn't matter, though. It's Sunday school. It's what we do. And going, if we can't have the conversation, are the methods working, we're going to continue to decline. If we don't have the ability to change and adapt, we're going to continue to decline and fade away. Now, hear this. When I talk about changing and adapting, for some of you, that gets scary. For most of us, actually, that gets scary. I want to be clear on what I'm talking about. I'm talking about potentially changing methods, not the mission. A change to the methods, not the message. There have been, I couldn't find who actually came up with this quote. It's been quoted and requoted so many times, but something to the effect of the methods must always change, the message must never change. Amen. The problem is we have fallen, for many of us, so in love with the methods. We've fallen so in love with how we do church, we forgot to stop and look at why we do church. And again, don't think just coming here why we are the church. We've fallen so in love with the methods that we've let the mission slip through our fingers. The, the methods that we've, most of us have grown up with, if not all of us, are attractional type methods. Again, build the church, open the doors, and those that want to come in are going to come in. And we've gone, cool, so let's make our Sunday morning as big and bad and attractive as possible. Let's make the music as good as possible if the speaker's not good, let's get rid of him. Let's bring somebody else in because that is how the kingdom moves forward. 
And not that any of those are bad things, but we've said that's it. That's the hill we're going to die on. It's church-centric. It's Sunday morning-centric. Everything that matters happens inside these walls. That's the method that most of us grew up with, have fallen in love with, and will struggle to let go of. One of the reasons is because it's uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable. We fear it. We fear what we're going to lose if we change, and so we kind of hold on. And the other, we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, is the kind of change that I believe God is calling us to is going to cost each and every one of us. Because no longer is your job going to be come and sit. Maybe, if you're really good, invite somebody to come with you. For most of us, most of our Christian lives, we've been told that is your job as a Christian. Let the professionals and elders take care of everything else. Your job is to help put butts in seats. And it's not true. Like last week, we're all called to move from church attender to kingdom partner. The kind of change we're talking about, it's, it's going to cost each of us time, energy, Man, maybe even just, like the hardest thing, just comfort. Having to go out of my comfort zone to partner with the king. But if we don't, we will continue to decline and fade away. As we look at, at the, the methods changing and the mission staying the same, I found this quote uh, by Harrington Emerson. I've never heard of him before, but this is a good quote. As to the methods, there may be a million and then some, but principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. The man who tries methods ignoring principles is sure to have trouble. The church for a long time has been caught in this cycle of we just perpetuate the methods. We have church on Sunday mornings. Why? Because that's what we do. We have Awana on Wednesday evenings. Why? Because that's what we do. We have Sunday school. Why? Because that's what we do. We've seen these other churches do it and be successful, and so we're just going to perpetuate the same thing. And not that any of those things are bad. Please don't hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But we've stopped asking the why question. What are the biblical principles behind these? What are we actually trying to accomplish on a Sunday morning other than having a really good Sunday morning? What is the purpose of it? Until we get back to those things, what are the biblical principles, the things that we're commanded to do, then we can ask the question, what's the best method to accomplish this? In a changing culture, in an extremely busy culture, what is the best method to accomplish the mission? Not going, okay, the method has to stand. How can we squeeze submission into it? Does that make sense? Jesus came with a mission in mind. And he was going to use any method short of sin to accomplish it. Everything Jesus did was driven by a singular mission. Every conversation he had, every miracle he did, every lesson he taught, every relationship he invested in was for a singular mission. And that's actually what got him killed. The reason that the Pharisees and all of those turned against him is because he looked at their religious methods and went, you're missing the point. 
They, they were so caught up in this temple life and how we do it, and this is how we teach, and these are the rules everyone has to follow. And Jesus came and went, you're missing it. This isn't nearly as important as you think it is. He would say, look at how you teach and you, and you pray in these open places. And, and they would go, yeah, we do. And he would go, but your heart, you've missed it. You don't care for the people that God has called you to care for. You're so busy with the establishment, just keeping the methods going. And it was actually him coming and speaking against those things that got him killed. Here's the mission that Jesus came for. He states it very clearly in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that was lost, or what was lost. Why did Jesus come? People go, well, to be a good teacher, to, to be an example of the kind of life that we should live. And sure, like he was those things. But if you ask Jesus, what drives you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What is the thing that you and the Father pray the most about? Why are you here? He would have said to seek and save what was lost. He didn't get sidetracked by all the other good things out there. He knew the one great thing the Father had called him to, and he pursued that with everything. Now, while he pursued that mission, did those other good things get accomplished? Yeah. If he would have settled for focusing on those, would he have missed the mission? I mean, he's Jesus, so it's hard to say he would have done anything wrong. If I was in his shoes, would I have missed the mission? Yeah. And that's the problem the church has had for a long time, is we've got focused on all of these side issues that are good and do have value, but we've forgot the most important thing. We've forgot the, the singular focus mission that we've been called to. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. He didn't come to bring morality to the people. He didn't come to bring social justice to the people. He didn't come to help the church grow, to put more butts in seats. Now, and we're going we're to put those off to the side, because again, I don't want to in any way say those are unimportant. We're going to come back and deal with those. But those were not the mission that drove Jesus to seek and save what was lost. And here's the mission that Jesus gives the church. If you've been a part of a church for any point in time, you've heard this before. It's called the Great Commission. The, Jesus' parting words before he ascends up to heaven, he gathers all of his disciples, and here's what he tells them. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' parting shot. Boys, if there's anything you're going to remember, remember this. And he starts it with, most of the time when we quote the Great Commission, we start in verse 19, which is, therefore, go and make disciples. But Jesus starts with 18. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, before I go, you guys need to hear something. What I'm going to tell you comes with authority attached. There's no if you want to, if you feel like it, if you get around to it. Jesus says, look, I'm getting ready to leave. And before I do, you need to know I'm in charge. And here's the mission I leave you with. Go and make disciples baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
and then a beautiful promise, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He said, everything you've seen me do over three and a half years, you have seen me do miracles, you've seen me teach, you've seen me suffer, you've seen me rejoice, you've, like you've seen it all. Let me put a period on it for you. Don't get distracted. It was all about this, making disciples. Those who are far from him, helping them to come into a discipling relationship with Jesus, baptizing them, new converts, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, helping disciples grow. He says, this is it. If you get nothing else, get this. My church is to be about making disciples, bringing new people into the kingdom and helping those in the kingdom grow up more in the kingdom. That is the point of his church. The way that we say that here, we kind of put our own words to it. Uh, we should all be able to memorize this. Hopefully you have the Great Commission memorized. It, it kind of gets quoted enough times. But we wanted to make it as, as simple to get a hold of as possible. And so the, the sentence that we've come up with of why the Elkins Alliance Church exists, and you've heard this before over the last six months multiple times, Elkins Alliance Church exists to see every person involved in kingdom life. We've looked at it and we went, man, how do we, how do we sum the Great Commission up? It's kingdom life. Jesus went to those who were far from the kingdom and said the kingdom is near and invited them in. Jesus went to those that were following and said, let's take another step in the kingdom toward kingdom partnership, kingdom life. The driving goal for us as a church is to see every person. And when we say every person, we mean every person. When I drive down the streets of Elkins and I see... The homeless, I see those in the nice neighborhoods, I see the addicts, I see those that have them all together. It clicks in my head and I go, every person. You and you and you and me and you to be involved in kingdom life. If we miss this, I don't care how good our services is. I don't care how many butts are in seats. I don't care how many kids come to Awana. If this is not the driving goal for everything that we do, we've missed it. And if we're not able to look at some of the methods that maybe have been a part of the church from the very beginning and go, do they really help us accomplish this goal? If not, what needs to change? Maybe it's a tweak. Maybe this thing has, has outlived its usefulness and we need to let it die to make room for something else. And again, some of you are clenching when I say that. Because your kids came to Jesus through that thing. You were discipled and grew through that thing. And I'm not trying to in any way say that those things were bad. What I'm trying to say is that we need to be willing to look and go, are they the best way to accomplish this mission? If not, we have to make room. Because we're not going to one day stand before Jesus and he's going to go, so how many people showed up to your church? We're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to go, how did you advance my kingdom? How did you invite people in? How did you help them grow? That's what matters. That's the mission that we were left. And that's the mission that, and this is a hard part, that we will be held accountable for one day as followers of Jesus Christ. So we have to hold the methods open-handed because the mission is so vitally 
important. Does that make sense? So let me say this. Let me go back to some of those things that, that are really good things that we can get distracted by focusing in on like they're the top thing. We said like morality or social justice, which right now social justice is a massive conversation in our country. Church growth, as we look at the church declining in so many areas, we could get focused on how do we just build this thing back up? How do we have a better show to invite people to? How do we make it more welcoming? And you know, we should probably put some mulch down. We do need to put some mulch down. So in a few weeks, I'll be asking for volunteers, but not because then we've got it. We, how do we approach those things that are important but aren't the most important? Here's what we believe. Again, as your, your church leaders have sat down and discussed this, and we came up with it's all about seeing people involved in kingdom life. We believe that when, when each of us becomes fully involved in kingdom life, the lost will be found. Disciples will be made. The church will grow. Not because, man, we're the newest, shiniest, but because as we become involved in kingdom life, that is alluring to people, attractive to them. They are drawn toward hope and light. The lost will be found. The church will grow. We won't just see morality, a list of do's and don'ts put out there to people. What we will see is victory over sin. People being transformed from the inside out. Truly being changed day after day, month after month, year after year, to look more like Jesus. We will see social justice moved forward. Not because we focus solely on social justice, but because kingdom people are people of peace, people of hope, people who walk into dark situations like what we see going on all around our country right now and bring a message of hope and peace and value to those that feel like they have none. We bring a voice to the voiceless, not just because that's the whole goal, but because that's what kingdom people do. And as we follow the Lord, as we seek to partner with Him in kingdom ministry, we will see these other things advance. But if we focus specifically on those, we will stagnate and die. We have to keep the main thing the main thing seeing every person, every man, woman, and child taking a step toward kingdom life, wherever they may be, taking a step toward the king. So as we've talked about this, how do we, how do we see every person involved in kingdom life? That's kind of a, that's a big goal. How do we begin to approach it? We believe that there's kind of four values. Four things that if we just continue to chase after, we will see people involved in kingdom life. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of break down each one of these and talk about it. But these are the things that we're going to keep putting out there in front of us. These are the things that as we look at, should we do this? Should we do that? We're going to go, do they help us accomplish our four values? If they don't, the answer is no. No matter how good those things might be, no matter we've done them for 25 years, if they don't help us accomplish the mission, we have to say no. Does that make sense? So here's the, the four values that, you know, as an organization we want to hold, but bag that. As individuals, I hope God drills down into each and every one of our hearts. 
The first one is this, divine expectation and engagement. We're going to talk more about this one next week, that everywhere we go, we expect God to be at work and we partner with him. That this just becomes the default setting. We walk into a room and we go, where is he moving? Who, who is he drawing me toward in relationship? Who is he calling me to speak to? Who is he calling me to just put an arm around? Everywhere I go, I believe God is on the move. I'm called to expect him and engage with him. The second one, practical discipleship. The second half of the, the Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded with you. I've commanded you. Walking arm in arm with people toward deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. This has to be a focus of ours. None of us is meant to do kingdom life alone. We need each other. We need people speaking into our lives, and we need to be pouring out our gifts into the others. Third is an outward focus. Naturally, if we're just kind of left to drift, we all get what's called a navel gaze. We stare at our own belly buttons. What's happening in my life becomes the most important thing. What's hap- how does this affect me becomes the most important question. We naturally focus inward. But we believe if we're going to accomplish seeing every person involved in kingdom life, we have to learn to have an outward focus. Who are those that maybe aren't anything like me that God is calling me to interact with? That God is calling me to to invite into the kingdom to walk with through life? Lord, give me an outward focus. And finally, to be a family on mission. That when we would come together be that on a Sunday morning, be that for a Bible study, be that for a fellowship dinner or a game night or whatever it is, when we would come together truly, we would have a sense of family. You are my brothers and my sisters, my fathers and my mothers. I value you so much and you're continually pressing me forward and I'm continually pressing you forward. We are going together as a family on mission. If we will focus on these things, if this is kind of the the grid, the filter that we run everything through, we will see the kingdom advance. We will see new people being ushered into the kingdom. We will see baptisms and professions of faith. We will see those who are young and immature in their faith growing and thriving. We will experience the presence of the Lord in our midst if we will keep the focus that we believe he's called us to. We have to differentiate between the method and the mission. We have to be willing to hold the methods open-handed, but this is how we've always done it. Okay, but if the mission is really that important, is it how we're supposed to do it going forward? Scary questions, I don't say them lightly. But this has to be the mindset we're going to have if we're going to grow and become the church that God is calling us to be. I'm going to invite the music team, if you guys would come on up. We're going to end with a a song. It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, It's late 90s, early 2000s this song was made. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about where it came from. I'm going to tell you a little bit about where it came from uh, before we jump in and sing it. Uh, It's a song called The Heart of Worship uh, by Matt Redman. 
most of us have heard it at nauseum. It's been around for a while. But the story behind the church is they started looking at their Sunday morning gatherings, at why they did church, and they realized, you know, we're just kind of showing up to, to do church. Everybody likes the music, everybody likes this and that, but really, if the music wasn't good, they'd all leave. If the preaching was bad, where would they be? They realized like they were, people were just showing up for the show. They weren't really seeing the kingdom move forward. And so they made a bold choice. Their pastor said, you know what? Until we get this figured out, we're not singing anymore on Sunday mornings. We're going to spend that time praying instead and inviting the Lord and inviting the Lord to change our hearts. And so I think it was for six weeks, they didn't worship through song at all because they realized we've overvalued this. We've made Sunday mornings about that, and that's wrong. And they said, until we can do it in a healthy way, we don't want to continue with that same method. And this song came out of that. After six weeks, they came back, and this was the first song that they sang. And it's a beautiful song of letting go of the method. We got distracted, God, and we missed what's at the heart of the whole thing. And it's a beautiful story of them as a church repenting. And, and you'll see in the words to the song, Lord, we missed it. When the music fades and all is stripped away, if it's not about you, we've missed it. And so as we sing this song, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. It's beautiful where it came from. Don't let it just be a song that you know well and can sing by heart. Really catch the words. Lord, if we're not doing this for the right reasons, we need to let it go.